Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. Right up front, I'm going to apologize for sounding a bit like the Grinch. Does the Grinch sound all screechy? I'm not quite sure, but I caught one of those holiday colds. You know, got to love it when you get the family together. Somebody's got a cootie. And so I managed to catch a cold. But that just means that my fabulous guest gets to give us even more information. So please join me in welcoming Chris Wallace to our program today. Welcome, Chris. Deb, thank you so much for having me. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you, and then we'll just jump into this. So as founder and president of Interview, Chris Wallace brings or builds upon previous success as an entrepreneur and his 15 years of sales, marketing, and corporate leadership experience. Over his career, Chris has identified a singular area of focus helping brands better align their marketing strategies with the daily execution of their frontline teams. Helping to bridge that gap allows Chris to influence constant progress from organization-wide culture shifts to individual employee breakthroughs in job satisfaction and commitment. Beyond his work, Chris is able to apply his passions as a teacher and author. He has been an adjunct MBA professor at Temple's Fox School of Business and has been published in outlets such as Harvard Business Reviews, HBR.org, Chief Marketer, and CMO Magazine. And he was recently named to the Forbes Agency Council. So again, Chris, welcome. Thank you so much. Appreciate the nice intro. Well, start, you know, let's go a little bit backwards. Tell us, you know, you have this one focus. Tell us how it is that you have decided this truly is your passion. Um, but it's a great, it's a great place to start. Um, the, uh, just like any entrepreneur, the, the road I took to get, get here was a little bit bumpy and it wasn't always a, a straight path, but, um, I was, I, I worked for a, a corporation for a number of years and, and, you know, rose through the organization there and through a, a merger process, um, I ended up in a spot where, um, I had the opportunity to shift focus and, uh, was really presented with an opportunity to start my own business. And I took that opportunity. Um, and what I was doing very early on when I started out on my own was, was doing consulting around taking new products that uh, this company was launching mm-hmm. and getting out with their frontline teams and really helping them, helping turn them into evangelists, being an evangelist myself, honestly, and really helping them get to the point where they had a lot more confidence in what they were saying, a lot more uh, a belief in the story that they were telling to the customers. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is I, I, it's, this started out where I was going out into call centers. And in this particular application, it was into call centers and with a very big company. And I'm standing there in these meetings, in these sessions, in these call centers, and I'm watching. It's almost like you can see the light bulb going on over people's heads. Mm-hmm. And the way that people at the front lines, and when I say front lines, people who talk to your customers, customer service, 
right. sales, retail associates, you know, technicians, people out there every day interacting with customers and serving customers, to see them talk to and listen to in a different way and to see the light bulb come on over their head and, and them really start to engage and have passion around the story, whereas before they were very confused, um, that really sparked something in me. You know, seeing this audience that was um, just not uh, necessarily viewed in the way that they needed to be in order to be the true brand ambassadors that these right. companies want them to be, um, seeing their reaction and seeing the energy that came from them was really what sparked my passion. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so true. I think so many people often are just there for the paycheck, but they wouldn't be if you could really get them engaged. And, you know, and, and I mean, yeah, you're always going to have the people who are there just for the paycheck. Fine. You know, we're, we're just not even going to talk to them, but you know, a, a big part, you know, in, in your um, intro, we talked about the fact that, you know, employees will stay longer when they care more about the company, you know, uh, all of these various things. And a great deal of that is, you know, when they're unhappy, it's because in many cases, there is just simply a lack of communication. You know, the, why are we here? Why are we selling this? You know, all these various things. <coughs> so tell us more about that. <coughs> so you, you just used a, a, a really key word. You used the word why. Most organizations <coughs> are so focused on delivering the what and making sure that people have information. Uh, that really, that you talk about communication, that communication is so much around info. Let's give them all the details. Let's make sure they know every piece of information. But the reality is you think about the average, uh, the average person who works, like I mentioned, retail or in a call center, they're, they're asked to remember so many different things. Information actually becomes a detriment to them, not, mm-hmm. not, a, not a supporting tool. And we look at it and say, what becomes so much of an area of focus for the organization? And they just push information downhill that the why gets lost. And we're really big on, on, on really helping them understand why this makes sense, both for the company, for the customer, for them, and focusing on and getting, getting them to attach themselves to a bigger concept than just sell more of this and we'll pay you more. Organizations really still look at their people as uh, coming from a sales background. You know, we use the phrase coin operated. They look at their mm-hmm. people as, we'll pay them a little bit more, you know, pump another, you know, couple of spiffs and, and incentives at them. And they're going, they'll sell anything that you provide to them. It doesn't work that way. Right. And I think that it's changed so much. And organizations really need to look at these folks as a real conduit to that customer and a real link to that customer, not just, not just a pass-through, not just somebody who sits mm-hmm. there and is uh, going to regurgitate what you tell them to say. Right. You know, and, and you talk about passion. You know, I, I live here in Atlanta. And, you know, I am a Chick-fil-A fan. You know, and, and yeah. one of the things that always, always, always strikes me is when I go through the drive-thru and, you know, it happens inside too, <clears throat> but after you, you place your order, there's some version of, it's my pleasure to serve you. That's right. And that is part of their whole brand. It, it absolutely is. And, and, and that's an example. Chick-fil-A comes up a lot in conversations that we have. But Deb, I had a really interesting uh, trip a couple of weeks ago. I was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was snow and it was very cold. It's Chicago. Um, <laughs> it's Chicago. It was before Thanksgiving. It was freezing mm-hmm. and there's snow on the ground. But I had uh, conversations back-to-back days with uh, chief marketing officers for national organizations, mm-hmm. uh, recognizable brands and national organizations. 
And the first day, uh, I was talking to a woman who was the first ever CMO of the, it was a nonprofit, first ever CMO of this organization, national organization, you all know the name. And she was telling me that they're going through a rebranding process. And she said, we have a great agency and I'm confident that they're going to help us talk the talk. My concern is, are we going to walk the talk, right? Hmm. And that, that, I, that phrase of walk the talk really resonated with me. The next day, I was talking to a CMO of a, of a home improvement brand, and he said to me, so you're the people who can help my folks act the brand. And that was his phrase, oh, act yeah. the brand. Mm-hmm. And those two, those two comments in, in consecutive days really struck me. Mm-hmm. And it goes straight back to the heart of what you're talking about, which is Chick-fil-A. They act the brand. Mm-hmm. They walk the talk. Chick-fil-A is not just a series of ads or, or billboards or digital, you know, digital display banner ads. They really are a brand that stand, they, they say what they're going to do, they back it up, and they mm-hmm. there's something to be said for that. I mean, yes, it's fast food chicken, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, people can go anywhere and get that chicken, and it's, it gets relatively similar. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as good, but it's relatively similar. But why do you keep going back? It's because people, they tell you who they're going to be, mm-hmm. they back it up, and they're consistent every time. Right. You know, and there obviously are controversies with Chick-fil-A. You know, and, and, you know, the fact that they are a, a, a faith-based organization and, you know, some, some various things, but, you know, that's, it is who they are, you know, and, and I think to me, that is one of the things that I like about them is that is who they are. They're not apologetic about it. They're not, you know, and, and so whether you're a customer or an employee, you know that. I mean, you know, you know that going in there to fill out that employment application, okay, you know, it isn't just the place where I don't have to work on Sunday. <laughs> there's, there's a yeah, exactly. reason they don't work on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I agree with you. I think it's a really interesting dynamic that you have with, um, they, they're, they're an authentic brand, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the word brand, and maybe for some of the folks that, that are listening, the word brand sometimes gives people like the, the heebie-jeebies. They're so right. like, what is it? What does brand actually mean? Or that sounds like something that comes you know, straight out name, of Mad Men. Or they their logo, whatever. And yeah. Mm-hmm. But, that's, but that's where our, our, our business and our practice, we've evolved to the place where we're really focusing on the brand because what the brand is is starting to permeate so many different aspects of, of the organization, mm-hmm. right? The brand really cuts back to the core and the foundation of who the company is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the faith-based part of, of Chick-fil-A's uh, you know, organization, part of their culture, that is a key part of their brand, for better or for worse. But they've decided there are some people that that will turn off. There's some people that will attract, but they're okay with that because they're being very authentically who they are. Another brand I can, I can speak to is Patagonia. Patagonia is another really uh, marquee brand where they know who they are and they've decided who they are. And all the way down through their procurement process they live their mantra of environmental stewardship. They live mm-hmm. it all the way through. They give money back. They make sure that they have vendors that have, <laughs> have green policies, all those things. And it attracts some people. It pushes away others. But they are who they are. Right. And that impacts so many different aspects of your operation and how your people act. Mm-hmm. You know, another example would be Nike. You know, love him or hate him, Colin Kaepernick does work for Nike. And, you know, and, and they have, you know, they've, that is now kind of, they've incorporated some of that in what they do. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because you mentioned something about, you know, it will, some people will go there simply because of 
the faith base, the the environmental base, the the whatever, you know, um, and then there are people who absolutely won't go. Well, you know what? That's okay. Um, you know, I was uh, working with a young woman several years ago on her personal LinkedIn profile, and she was looking for a job. You know, and and you know, this was a, a wonderful young woman, very educated, very knowledgeable, all these various things. But she was from the Middle East, and her photo, her LinkedIn photo, she actually had a T-shirt on that said "Proud Muslim." Now, I kind of objected to just a t-shirt in general, because I thought it was too casual. But, um, you know, I, I said something to her about that, and, you know, obviously privately. And, you know, and, and she said, you know what, if that it turns them off, at, you know, if they just didn't initially think, then I don't want to work with them at all. So why waste everybody's time and money by doing that? And it's kind of the same thing with brands. I mean, you know, that was her brand. And, you know, and, and I love that philosophy, especially from somebody who was like 22 years old. Um, you know, she knew who she was, who she had to be authentic to, and she was going to stick by that. Uh-oh. You just type fire alarm. Danger, danger. I, I, there is a fire alarm going off in my building right now, which you, I, you can't you can't make those things up, Deb. Um, I, I, I have to be honest; it. I can't make it and, up. But does this mean that you need to evacuate? Um, I am trying to find that out right now. I will let okay. you know momentarily. Okay. Um, but what I'm going to do is, while I'm waiting to find that out, I'm going to um, respond to. I, I love you know the idea of putting yourself out and who you are as a brand mm -hmm. and. I actually wrote an article um, after the Nike um, announcement with, with Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. So you, you brought up one that's, that's I think, very um, appropriate and one that I, I have a, a perspective on. And the way I look at it is this. Um, whether you agree with them or you don't, I look at it, I look at it as a business person. And mm -hmm. I say, you know, I look at it as, as a consultant, basically. And I look at that and I say, um, anytime you are doing something like that with your brand, you have to make sure your people are prepared for it. Mm -hmm. You are making a, a significant um, uh, statement. You are, you are taking a position. You're making a political statement on right. something. Letting your people know how to deal with that and making sure that, again, mm -hmm. act the brand, right? right. If, if, there's, if there's one thing I could, I could say is that idea of act the brand. If you're going to launch those ads, how do you want your people to act yes. in a way that is consistent with the advertisement oh, that you just put on the air? Somebody's going to ask them. Somebody's going to ask, and but this is the thing: how does um, how does what you experience in a Nike store or you know at a Nike vendor, whomever, how does that reflect who Nike is saying that they are? Is it just a? And this is why I look at it: is it part of their brand or is it just a stunt? Right. 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 If it's a stunt, um, I, I also wrote an article about um, speaking of stunts. Mm -hmm. Do you you might remember from the Super Bowl last year? that Bud Light went out with a big ad campaign around that they did not have, they were not brewed with corn syrup. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember seeing that, I but do. this whole and, ad campaign, ooh, that caused a no corn syrup. It, well, this, but it's funny because they were saying it's not brewed with corn syrup because most people associate high fructose corn right. syrup with being bad. Okay. Right. But it was a sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. Corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup are not the same thing. Right. It was a stunt. Mm -hmm. It was a stunt. So, but when you go out and, and buy Super Bowl ads, many of them with the right. same message, that's going to impact your brand. That's going to project something about your brand. 
And the way that that trickles down, now you've got sales reps going in and they have to stand in front of a, a distributor. The, the, the distributor has to stand in front of a, a, a shop owner and they have to say, I, I don't get it. I don't know what this ad means. I, I, you know, don't ask me to explain it. And I, what I just you've done sell is the beer. Create, mm-hmm. I just sell, yeah, yeah. I don't, know what, I don't know what those advertising guys are doing. But what you've just done is you've created dilution in your brand. Right. If those people are not prepared to talk to it mm-hmm. or to back it up, now your brand goes, goes you know, a little bit haywire. And let's be honest. Both Bud Light and Nike over the last year, as a result of those two things, people don't know what to make of them. So by not sort of pulling that through and making sure that people are ready to back up that story by having that dilution of your brand message, there's a lot of bad implications for that. It costs companies a lot of money. Right. And it it does because then you're thinking, well, what are they, you know, what are they not mixed up with, but confused about on other things. You know, if, if the employee can't answer those questions, well, what if I ask them something else? Um, you know, and, and, and we're not saying that the employee has to say, oh, yes, I agree. I support that. I feel because they have to be authentic too. But you want them to be able to say, well, you know, our corporate board of directors, looked at this, they reviewed it, they decided this was something that, that, that they felt very strongly about. Because, you know, they can't just, you know, you can't, it, because somebody's going to say, well, why? You know, we're all talking to three-year-olds yeah. all of a sudden. Well, why? Um, so they need at least one or two more sentences. And then they need to be trained how to get them off onto, you know, and now look at our coolest new shoes or here's the beer, you know, whatever it is, you know, you get them off onto why they were really there, but they have to address that issue first. They just can't shrug. They can't say, we don't know. They certainly can't say, well, I don't agree with that. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's tricky. And, and it is, as you mentioned, is brand message dilution. Yeah. And I think that the word, the word that comes up more frequently than, than any other word when we talk to the marketing departments that we work with, and we work with larger consumer brands, mm-hmm. the word that they are all wishing for and hoping for is consistency. Right. They just want consistency. They want there to be the story that they built. You know, the, we always say that the, the, if we really want to cut straight to the heart of it with, it, with a prospective client or with our current client, mm-hmm. we will ask them, how confident are you that the people who represent your brand can tell your brand story the way you created it. Right. How confident are you that they are out saying it the same way that you are every single time? And they do one of two things. They either laugh or they cry, but neither response is a good one because they really do not have confidence that the consistency is there. And whether it's something around what, you know, what Nike or Bud Light did or like what the folks at Chick-fil-A are doing consistency, it doesn't matter if you're like being polarizing is okay. Right. Cause you're going to attract a certain audience. But people just want people want their their frontline teams to be consistent because customers want their brand to be consistent. They want to know that when they show up to do business with them, they want to feel comfortable that they know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And that consistency is what's lacking the most. It's well, at one time I talked to somebody who's great. Or think about your think about hotel chains. You show up to one hotel chain, it's like, man, I stayed at this property a lot and they're great. I go to another one in another city and they're terrible. The consistency's mm-hmm. not there. Right. You know, and it's interesting as as I was preparing for this and looking at your materials, and then as we've been talking, you know, we're we're talking about when the employees, the frontline people, have brand message dilution. What I see alarmingly that happens, you know, very frequently, is the one person, the business owner, you know, and they might not have any employees who 
do the same thing. They don't have a brand message. They're going to go with the flow. I mean, you know, you're going to talk politics. Oh, sure. You know, that's, I'm, I'm, what side are you on? Okay, that's the side I'm on. You know, sports, whatever it is, you know, and, and they're mess, you know, they're more concerned, you know, and again, this is whether it's the one person shop or the 10 million people with making the sale. Sometimes that works, but if you want customers to keep coming back, that's where you want to have that consistent messaging. And, you know, and, and, and I think it is important for the, the sole proprietor, the entrepreneur, to really be thinking about the fact that they have to have that consistent brand message. They have to have thought it through. Why are we doing this? Um, you know, all those various things, just as much as a Nike, as a Chick-fil-A, as the big guys on the block. Yeah, that's, that's really well said. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. I, the one piece of advice I would give for those who are listening that might be small business owners, um, this is my third time. This is kind of my third go round as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a chance to, you know, to, to build businesses. And the third time around, what well, they say the third time is the charm. Um, I've really taken a lot of those things to heart in my own business. And mm-hmm. one piece of advice I would give people is, you know you have a solid brand message and a brand position and a value proposition when you say no to a piece of business. Right. When you say no to a piece of business because it doesn't fit who you are or who you want to be, and you have the confidence to say, I don't have to jump at whatever piece of business that, that, that comes my way, then, then you know you've got a solid brand message. Mm-hmm. And it sounds counterintuitive to say, but entrepreneurs should be rushing to that first opportunity. Right. They should be as quickly as they can trying to find that first opportunity that they say, no, that's not for me. Right. Because then you know you've got something solid. But there's a lot of work that comes behind that, right? Or yeah. excuse me, in front of it. You have to make sure that you are really nailing down what your value is in the marketplace. What, what is it that you do for your customers? How do you add value? And, yeah, exactly right. Well, everything's got, everything's got to start with that. And, and you know, uh, I really do believe that the why should be driving it. I'm a big believer in, in some of the... the 21st century management theory of you've got to um, you got to build out from that that true core that authentic core, mm-hmm. um, but understanding your value proposition get re- really tight on it means that you're not going to be all things to all people. Right. And if you're not all things to all people, the focus that that brings to your business, that's how you start to be a brand. Now I can tell you this: I had an organization, right, a, a company that I built um, over the course of five years. Um, interview is the culmination of of learning many things over the years. We've started it. We have more brand equity built up in, in just under two years of being in operation than we did in five before mm-hmm. because we didn't have that solid, we never started from that solid core. We, mm-hmm. we were good at what we did, but we didn't have that North mm-hmm. Star. We started with the North Star this time and we have more brand equity in two years than we did in five. Right. You know, and it's hard as that small business, the small business owner, the entrepreneur, because you want, you might have to take everything that comes your way for a while. Um, you know, and, and, you want to help people, you know, that that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But if you get the eh, feeling, you know, then maybe, maybe it's, it's just not right. Um, you know, and, and so in order, as you said, in order for your business to, to be successful and to be moving on, it's only going to help when you start weeding those things out. It's absolutely true. We had we had an instance last year where um, 
my team came to me, my, my partner and head of our, our, our client journey team, which is our client services. She came to me and she said, uh, our, our largest client, somebody, our largest client in their procurement department came to us and said, we, we just gotten to know some of the new folks in the procurement team. And they said, we think this is an opportunity you should get in on. It was basically an RFP. Mm-hmm. And they said, based on the work you currently do with us, we think this is something you should get in on, or, or we, we want to offer you the opportunity mm-hmm. to get in on it. And we looked at it. And frankly, I didn't know that much about it. And my team looked at it, a couple folks on my team vetted it and they brought it back and they said, um, they're like, what do you think? And I read our mission statement and I said, does it help us do that? Is this an opportunity for us to do more of that? And they said, it really isn't. It's, it's, this is mercenary work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not on mission for us. And I said, okay, so where, what's the answer? And they said, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. I came to find out later, it was probably a seven-figure RFP. Wow. Um, Which is and a, as a small thing business to owner, turn down. I'm glad I didn't know it in the beginning. Because if I had known that, I, I, I honestly didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But um, it, 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 was, it would have been close to that. It ended up, it was a big project. And it would not have been something that we would have delivered well. It would not have built our brand. It, right. it wouldn't have been good for us. Mm-hmm. And we feel good about the fact that we didn't take it. But, um, and that's not to say, tur- you know, turn away business. But it, it, it's, it's not about turning away business. It's just, if you put out into the, into the marketplace, who you truly are, mm-hmm. that's going to attract people who need that and want that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we're noticing by doing that is the people that we're doing business with, we're finding them so much more inclined to the way that we think. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is willing to try new things, adventurous, you know, you know, willing to, willing to think outside the box, so to speak. And we're finding ourselves the client engagements that we have. Mm-hmm. Man, they're so much more fun. They're right. fun. They're people mm-hmm. who they came to us because they see the opportunity, because they understand what we're saying. So we're not spending our time chasing things that aren't our core. Mm-hmm. We're working with people who want to try new things and it's more fun. Right. You know, and, and I love it when I see people like that. You know, there's a, a person in Colorado that I know who is, she is an edgy PR person. I mean, edgy as in tats, piercings, you know, all these various things, very, very outdoorsy, which of course in Colorado is pretty easy to do. Right. You have to be. Right. Right. You know, and, but she will only work with companies that are really edgy like that too. And, you know, my first thought was she turns away business. And then I thought, okay, if she's, and, and, you know, I mean, she's going to be authentic to the bone, you know, that's, she is not going to change. And, and I thought, you know, I could just envision her in a meeting with suits that wasn't going to go well, you know, or having to change her image to go in and meet with the suits or work with the suits. And of course, you know, where I'm, I'm, you know, saying suits facetiously because it, it just means, you know, more of a button down type of thing or whatever, but you know, and, and so she figured out very quickly it was going to mean turning business down because she wins awards. She does all sorts of stuff and people come to her all the time. But she's like, nah, you know, you're just not my sweet spot. Now, the cool thing is she has other people she refers to. And, and so yeah. that makes it really good. But, but yeah, you know. We it, do the same thing. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's a win-win because she made everybody happy. You know, she could have done the work, as you said. You know, she could have done it. She would have done it okay. Africa. Yeah. 
as opposed to knocking it out of the park. And, you yeah. know, and, and, and that, but it, it is, it's a hard decision, especially at say the end of the month when the bills are due, you know, you're thinking, Oh my God, we should have taken that client. We should have done this, but you have to stick to it. Um, you know, as, as hard as it is, you have to stick to, to you, to what your brand is. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. And it, it might delay, you know, for, for, for those of you who, who have small businesses, it might it might temper it might temporary de- temporarily delay that next piece of business, but but the way that you will build over time and and the way that you will, um, you know, build that brand and that brand actually means something. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth it. I know it's it's easier said than done. Believe right. me, I know. Mm-hmm. But um, it is so true. You got to decide who you are and be that. And I, I, the phrase I always use is you have to magnetize yourself. Mm-hmm. If you magnetize yourself in the way you know the, of who you want to be, you're going to attract certain things. You're going to repel up things, but that's okay. Over right. time, you know, you, for a small business owner, for, for any brand, mm-hmm. the hard, it's, it's harder to choose who not to do business with than it is mm-hmm. to choose who to do business with. Right. Trying to be, you know, we can serve everybody. Um, that is, that is a, a bad recipe for anybody in the, in the marketing and sales space. Mm-hmm. Now, and we want to be clear, just because you say, eh, you know, that's probably not a good fit, certainly doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. Yeah, you know, every once in a while there might be. But, you know, it just means that it's not a good fit for you. Um, you know, and, and so it's okay to say no. And more importantly, it's okay to not feel guilty about it. For sure. Absolutely. Right. You know, I think that the, um, go ahead, Deb, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, is fire alarm still going on? Off? Whatever that no, is? No, no. Um, I, I don't see flames or smoke. So I'm going <laughs> to take that as a good thing. <laughs> um, there's a restaurant in the ground floor of the, our ah, office building. So, somebody uh, you never toast. know, maybe, yeah, maybe a, maybe a dish towel caught on fire, yeah. but, um, so no, we're, we're, we're fortunately, we appear to be safe for the moment, but, good, good. um, we, um, one of the things I was going to say is, you know, when we think about, uh, relating, relating the story of what we do, uh, both to large businesses and small businesses, um, it's really important to recognize that, um, whether you're, you're a small organization or large, the people who are out there interacting with your customers are mm-hmm. so important. Um, and when we, we talk about the idea of dilution of the message, mm-hmm. um, it's so funny because we talk to companies who, you know, only have two or three people. Right. And we don't typically work with, that's not, not necessarily our target client, but um, when we talk to those folks, you know, what we find out is the, it, it actually magnifies the challenge when you only have three people because one of those three being off message or off brand um, that oh. can have a huge implication on your when business. You figure that's so, a third. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about a large organization, some of the companies we work with, um, <clears throat> if they had a third of their company mm-hmm. off, I mean, actually in some cases it, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. We actually did some, uh, we did some research uh, on this and we asked marketers basically how, what percentage of your, or I'm sorry, uh, how confident are you that your people can, can tell your brand story mm-hmm. consistently? And we found that it's actually, I use a third and two thirds, but one, uh, one third of the marketers were confident and two thirds, 66% told us that they were either moderately not confident to extremely worried mm-hmm. that their brand message was not being told mm-hmm. consistently. So think about that. Two thirds of marketers, isn't this mostly medium to large size organizations, but they told us that they're concerned that their brand message is getting diluted. So what they're building and spending a lot of money to market mm-hmm. directly to the consumer is not what the customer is hearing when they show up to buy. Right. That's a real problem, whether you're large or you're small. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Speaking of you've done research, you, you really have done research. Um, you worked with uh, your company partnered with another company called Focused Vision, and you wrote this great paper called Have Your Story Straight? Why Brand Message Dilution Hurts in the Experience Economy. It's great. You can get it on your website. Um, I didn't have a chance excuse me, to get all the way through it. So tell us a little bit more about that because you found some absolutely, you know, I mean, just the fact that people figure that two thirds of their company you know, are not on brand message. That's a huge thing. But tell us a little bit more about the study and some more of the results from it. Yeah. I, I, so the, um, I, the, the best place to start is, is what I just mentioned is that, that statistic that 66% believe that their message is breaking down. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so Houston, we have a problem. Okay. We, we've sort of, we struck a nerve with this. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not something that people are out there necessarily talking about. Um, we think they're starting to talk about it a lot more um, as brands become more prevalent and the investment companies making their brands is going up. But, you know, really what we wanted to try to find out here is, is there a problem? Because we mm -hmm. see it with our eyes, but we wanted to see if people actually think there is. Mm -hmm. There is a problem. And then the question is, okay, how big of a problem is it? How much does it cost, right? Well, how does this impact yeah. the bottom line? Does it cost we, anything? Is it a big deal or not? Yeah, so, so we, we asked the respondents that. And what we found was the people who, who told us that they, have, um, that they have brand dilution problems in their organization, about a quarter of those people estimated that the cost to their company of an inconsistent message is $10 million or more. Mm -hmm. It was just about a quarter of the respondents. We asked the people who said that they did have great alignment of their brand story. Think of, and I don't know if Chick-fil-A was, you know, they were respondents, but think of the Chick-fil-A's of the world, the people who do have alignment. Right. The people who had alignment in their organizations told us they value, 62% of those people valued that consistent message at 10 million or more. So nearly three times the number of people put it into the highest category of value. So think about that, $10 million or more every year, that matters to any company. I don't care how big you are. $10 million slipping through the cracks is something that you're going to care about. Right. But really the punchline of that was the people who are doing it well are realizing so much bigger of a gain mm -hmm. than the perceived loss of the people that are doing a poor job. Right. So the reality of being good is a lot better than the perception of being bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes sense and intuitively makes sense. But we had numbers to back up the fact that the people who are doing well with this are like, no, 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 there's significant value to our organization in having this consistent mm -hmm. message. And where that comes in, and there's a, a phrase that we have in that title, the experience economy. Mm -hmm. And for, for your listeners, what we mean by the experience economy, there's an article written, I'm, I'm, I, I want to say it was in like 1999. Uh, mm -hmm. It was Harvard Business Review. 1998 or 1999, and it was talking about we're moving out of, we went more products, then we were services. Now we're moving into really what you're selling is an experience. And it was way ahead of its time back in, mm -hmm. back in the late 90s. But this idea of the experience economy is companies, uh, product, there's product and service parity, basically. You can, you can get a reasonable replacement anywhere you go. But really where the differentiation for the brand is going to come is in the experience. Right. And, and think about the places you shop. Think about the products you buy. Mm -hmm. Why do you shop Amazon? Why do you shop Zappos? Mm -hmm. The experience is what different. You can buy the shoes anywhere. The experience differentiates mm -hmm. it. So um, this idea of the experience economy, where the money is slipping through the cracks is if somebody is not having a good experience, they will buy less. It's mm -hmm. that simple. If what they hear in the ad that gets them to call is different than what they hear on the other end of the phone after they call, their likelihood to buy from you and buy repeatedly goes down. 
So when we talk about the cost of a diluted brand message, it shows up at that customer interaction point. It shows up when the customer comes to buy Mm -hmm. and they're like, I came because they've got a great warranty program, but this person hasn't mentioned a thing about that. And here we are, there's a disconnect between the promise and the experience. That's where the dilution really hurts and that's where it hits the wallet. Right. You know, and unfortunately, I think so many companies rely on the fact now that consumers do a ton of research before they ever even decide to buy. I mean, even some simple basic things anymore. You know, we're, we're online, you know, Dr. Google, Mr. Google, you know, all these various things we're, we're looking up and, and seeing what the heck is going on. And so they're thinking, well, we have to work so hard at it. As long as we've got everything on the website, that's okay. Um, you know, and, and so they, they figure, well, maybe we don't have to train people so much. Or we've got brochures, we've got this that can be handed out, all those various things. We don't need to waste our time training people. And, of course, the opposite is, is true. You know, I might have done a bunch of research, but what that research is probably going to do is give me more questions to ask. Now, sure, there are times where I'm like, oh, nope, I know this is what I want. I'm going to buy this. Don't try and sell me something else. But usually I've gotten it down to maybe two things. I'm wanting to know, you know, the difference. Even if I'm on Amazon, you know, Amazon figured it out. They've got those little comparison things, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I, could, I, you know, I want to know, you know, A or B. And if I'm either on a website or talking to a person, they better be able to answer those questions. Uh, Again, very well said, Deb. I mean, everything you said aligns very much with what we see and what we believe as an organization, which is information is actually driving more questions and more confusion than than before. Um, and And it used to be a situation where the salesperson had all the information and the customer was just trying, like the salesperson had the power and they could sort of guide the, the consumer. Right. Well, the information shifted back. So the power really is in the consumer's hands, mm-hmm. but it creates a lot more confusion. It creates a lot more questions. Think about your average purchase, an automobile, um, an appliance for your home. I'll give you a great example. A friend of mine who actually uh, moved to, the, to your area, to the Atlanta area, not that long ago, um, before his new job started, they, they, he's an ex, you know, a marketing executive, moved in the Atlanta area, and before his new job started, he had several weeks in between. Um, he got a job at a national um, uh, electronics retailer. Mm-hmm. I'll let you draw conclusions yes, of who that yes. might be. Feel free to speculate. Um, <laughs> you, may, you may be right on the colors. I'm colorblind, so I wouldn't know. Um, but he got a job at this electronics chain, retail chain, and he worked in the, uh, the home theater section. He worked in the TV section, essentially. Mm-hmm. I asked him, what percentage of the people who walked back to your section to buy a television could you switch from one brand to another? How many of them had their mind made up? I did my research. I want that television. Give it to me now mm-hmm. versus the ones that you could switch at the point of purchase. Right. Do you want to take a guess what he said? It's probably the opposite of what I think because I'm going to, my first guess would be a very high percentage. They know what they're going to buy. But I bet it's the I bet it's the the other way around. Nine out of ten, he could switch. Yep. He said one out of ten mm-hmm. would come in, and they would say, "I I saw the ad, I did the research, mm-hmm. I want the LG." Yep. Not you know one mm-hmm. one out of ten. Yeah. Nine okay, out of ten, if somebody alone. came in and had questions, 
if they came in thinking they were going to buy LG, he could get them to buy Sony or Samsung or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, nine out of 10. So when you think about the, the importance of that, that person at the, at the, at the front lines, that last mm-hmm. mile, um, think about all the money that those consumer electronics brands spend to reach the customer. Nice. LG could be spending all this money driving people mm-hmm. into retail stores. Mm-hmm. And that person at the front line says, I'm a Samsung guy. Um, yeah. and, and nine out of 10, I'm flipping the Samsung. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the, I said it before, that person becomes a true conduit of the brand mm-hmm. message. Trying to win them over as a brand advocate for you, mm-hmm. whether they're the, your employee or a retail partner or a distributor or whatever it is, you've got to win that person over. And when we looked at the research that we did, we did research on, we asked them, what are you doing to win over your frontline teams? Mm-hmm. How are you trying to make a connection with them, make them turn them into brand advocates? And not surprisingly, they told us that the primary ways that they're trying to drive this alignment of their brand message is through product trainings and email. Mm-hmm. Product trainings and email. Yeah. We're going to give them a bunch of information by our product information or by a product training. We're going to jam it into their head yep. and we're going to send updates by email. Mm-hmm. Hope they retain it, mm-hmm. but not only hope they retain it, hope they can take the information and turn it into a story. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that the challenge isn't lack of information on the customer side or the employee side or the brand representative side. It really is how do you distill information down into things that people can consume? Right. And marketers do a good job of doing that for their customers. But what we're finding is organizations don't do a good job of delivering that to their people. Mm-hmm. They just information, information, information. We look at and say, our, our mantra as an organization is we don't want them to know it. We want them to believe it. Mm-hmm. And there's a much higher level of engagement that you need to get people to, to get them to the point where they believe in it. And they'll tell that story mm-hmm. over and over again consistently, because now it's something that's sort of embedded in them. It's not something that they're being asked to regurgitate. Mm-hmm. Um, but email and product trainings, I don't know about other people on, you know, who are listening, but that, those have never really motivated me no. to go out and be a, a true brand champion. No. And, you know, I, I, yeah, if it, it's, yeah, it's not going to do anything for me. You know, if, if I got an email, this is our new product line, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I might read the first paragraph. I kind of skim. And, 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 of course, it even depends on how well written it is. Did it capture my attention? You know, and, I, and then I'm going to get to the end because the end's probably in it. You know, the end might tell me if you sell 10 of these, you get a bonus, you know, things like that. But, yeah, you know, I, I need to see things um, and have them shown to me. So, you know, say it is televisions. I need somebody there with the TV showing it to me, showing me the features. If you send me a brochure that's got 500 features, no. I'm not going to remember five of those. But if you've shown it to me, I'm still not going to remember 500, but I might remember the top ones. As a, there's no question. I think um, organizations you know, are, are big, and this is, I think, a, a key learning for, for even if you're running a small business, the idea that the, the message, uh, is, it just can only be delivered through, you know, through information alone is not the way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You don't train customers to like your stuff right? You compel them to, you let them touch and feel it. You activate your, your products, your brand in, in, in a variety of different ways. You're innovative. You're, you use the word edgy. You're edgy in the way that you reach your, you know, reach your, your customers. But organizations are not doing that with their own people. They're right. looking to move behavior, buying behavior from their customers. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily doing that internally. We believe a big reason why that is, is marketers and most organizations are in a silo where their job is to reach the customer. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody else's role to actually talk to the customer, right? 
marketing gets them to show up. Somebody else is responsible for closing the loop and making sure that they, they buy the product. Um, we don't think marketers can afford with, with how important it is to build a brand and how much money they spend on their brand. We don't think marketers can afford to leave that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Take what you're doing to reach your, 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 your buying audience and use some of those same things to reach your people. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. From the research that we did, you know, the big question becomes, okay, well, if, if, if emails and product training are not moving the needle, what is? What, what, is, what is motivating people to, to, to be aligned and, and believe? What works? So what we found was there were three things that over-indexed to a significant degree. The people who believed that their company had an aligned message, mm-hmm. they over-indexed significantly for three things. The first was internal data and insights gathering. Okay, mm-hmm. That's a fancy way of saying we are asking our people what they think. Let's add, like, we're going to do internal research. Let's, we ask our customers what they think. They're a key audience. Mm-hmm. But if we look at our own people as a key audience, we ask them what they think. Well, we're going to learn a lot of information from them, and that's going to help us. Mm-hmm. The second thing that they're doing is more experiential tactics, event-driven, like you said, show me, mm-hmm. you know, live demonstrations, events, you know, you know, I don't say company meetings, not like the, the typical company meeting, right. but I'm talking about where they're actually, they're bringing some excitement and some energy to it. So events was the other. And then the last one was the thing that we believe, we believe in all three of these. We, we mm-hmm. practice all three of these, but the one that we've always found to be the most useful and, and really trying to drive that alignment and that employee behavior is peer-to-peer interaction. Okay. So think about it as the difference between the corporate office saying, this is what we think you should be saying mm-hmm. versus hearing it from one of your peers who is one of the right. top salespeople who mm-hmm. is saying that to customers every day. Mm-hmm. That level of engagement, if you really want to change behavior, work through their peers, not through a trainer, not through, you know, so many organizations like, well, we got to do video. Let's do videos. And they put an executive on video and they push it out. It doesn't mean as much coming from an executive as it does coming from one of their peers. No. People want to know what actually works. They mm-hmm. want it to be credible. Mm-hmm. And that's why we find peer-to-peer to be so useful. But those were the three things that we heard. Mm-hmm. It was the in- internal insights, you know, asking your people what they think, doing fun and engaging activities and events to engage them in the process, and then getting their peers involved, getting them talking to one another to find out what's working. Those are the three things that are driving the needle for the companies that are doing this well. Right. You know, and as, as you were talking, I was remembering back when I worked for a big insurance company. I worked for ING. Um, and they were huge. At the point when I worked for them, they were, I believe, the seventh largest publicly traded corporation in the world. So, you know, wow. ye- 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 only six were bigger. Um, and I remember one of the things that our CEO for, for my division said was every person is a customer service person. He's, and, and, you know, when I was in, I was the head of, I was the manager of corporate communications and I, we was trying to not give him, a, give him a perplexed look because, you know, you don't want to look stupid in front of the CEO. But what he was trying to come across with was, yes, there are the salespeople. There are those people who are going to go and, and meet with people, try to sell them something. However, every single person who works for the company, every person, should be able to give at least a, a, a pretty good brand message. Um, he said, I don't care if they're in the mail room or they're on the C-suite level. You know, they have to be able to do that. And I found that very interesting because, you know, it, it, and, and I think it's true. 
you know, how many times have we talked with somebody and we've said, you know, uh, you know, Chris, tell me a little bit about where you work and what they do. <laughs> you know, well, you know, and, or you might give, you know, a sentence. We do and, that exercise all the time, by the way. Right. You know, and, and we do that exercise with clients. And it is so important that, you know, now obviously the people who are dealing with customers have to have the most knowledge, but, you know, anybody should be able to answer at least, you know, a basic question, you know, about what your company does, you know, some of those various things and, you know, and, and then maybe even be able to figure out, are they a good potential customer? And if so, who do I need to send them to? Um, you know, and, and I just love that concept because that was very foreign to what I was used to. You know, I was used to, you were in silos and here were sales and here was everybody else. And, you know, heaven forbid that, you know, you even told anybody where you worked. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've, um, that we found is for organizations, this idea of, they don't have the confidence that their people can tell the story, but they don't know how to find out whether they don't know how to find out where the problem is. It's, it's mm -hmm. a very hard to diagnose challenge. One of the things that we did as an organization, we built a, um, we built a tool, we built a process uh, working with a, a, really a market research company. Mm -hmm. um, we met these really cool folks that had a startup business and they were gathering market research and voice of customer data. And they were bringing that back to major brands and saying, here's what, here's what your customers think you are. Here's who they think your competitors are. Here's where they think you're better. Here's where they think they're better, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and we looked at this and we're like, this is really cool. This is really slick. Um, is anybody asking employees what they think of the brand or the product? And they went, and, why? <laughs> well, why would we, uh, well, we train them. And, no, no, no. But like they have to stand in front of the customer and they have to tell mm -hmm. a compelling story. Mm -hmm. You want to know what the customer thinks of it. Wouldn't it be nice to know what the person who talks to the customer thinks of it? Because if right. they think it's junk, mm -hmm. you might want to know whether or not yeah. the person thinks that, that it's junk who talks to the customer. So we worked with them. We sort of redeveloped, I don't say redeveloped, but we took um, the core of their market research uh, tool mm -hmm. and we sort of uh, reimagined it for an internal audience. And we built something called the brand transfer score. And essentially what the brand transfer score is, it's, we talk about that, that, that idea of uh, brand message dilution or, or misalignment of your message. This gets to the heart of how misaligned is your message or how much is it getting diluted and where is it getting diluted? Okay. So think about if, go back to the example of you're the, uh, you're the consumer electronics company, you make televisions or, or handheld phones or whatever the case may be. Um, you have a sales team that sells into these big retailers and then you have retailers who sell to the customers or the carriers or whomever it is. And you have to get that message to, to flow from one of those audiences to the next, mm -hmm. right? The sales team has got to take it from corporate and they've got to understand it and they've got to tell it well. Then they have to tell it to the next organization. That next organization, that next link in the chain has to then tell it on down the path. Mm -hmm. And what we were finding as organizations, it was getting diluted from one handoff to the next. And what we did is we created the brand transfer score to ask those audiences what they thought of it. Mm -hmm. And we could come back and say, you're losing 21% of your message from corporate to sales. Then you're losing another 16% from sales to retail, then you're so on and so forth, all the way down, all the way down, ultimately to the customer. Mm -hmm. We're able to give them a view of where are you leaking and how bad is the, is, is the, is the fallout. So that tool has really given those frontline employees a voice in the process. Mm -hmm. What do they think of it? 
Because if they have a bad perception, uh, we used the phrase the other day, it ends up being a myth-busting tool. Because a lot of times people in the front lines are like, oh, I heard that this is just the next, you know, it's just an update to that old product and it's not really any right. different. You're like, oh, okay. Well, wait a second. I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. If the person who has to sell it isn't buying the story, how can you expect them to get the person who actually has the money to right. buy it? Right. This tool gives us the opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. It treats the internal audience like they are a critical stakeholder in mm-hmm. this. They're a segment of your marketing population not just that, like I said, that pass-through link to the customer. They're a critical link in the chain, somebody that you have to win over as well. Mm-hmm. So that tool gives us the opportunity to do that and gives a lot of clarity around this message breakdown back to the teams that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I think that in many ways comes back to the fact that companies figure, well, you know, the consumer has already done the research, doesn't really matter. Um, you know, but how many times have we gone to buy something you know, and I don't care if it's, you know, if something that's 10 bucks or, you know, a, an expensive car or something like that. And this, you ask a question and the salesperson rolls their eyes or, you know, does something where you're thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> of course, the worst thing would be if you said, now, what are the, you know, what's the safety rating? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, things like that are not really good, but sometimes it really is, you know, was this iPhone? better than that iPhone, you know, it's thousand dollars and you want know, sure it is. <laughs> you know? um, but tell but us. They might not believe that. Right. And if they don't believe that and, and, and they don't, I mean, and, and I, I really do think that that's where it comes down mm-hmm. to being authentic and being on brand. Who do you want right. to be as a brand? Okay. Right. And I'll give you an example. We worked with a, with a luxury goods company and they wanted to grow and they had mm-hmm. opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. And but they, they've been around a long time and they wanted to preserve their reputation, their brand and their customer service. And th- those were all very intertwined. Mm-hmm. They wanted to preserve that. And we went in and they said, well, how can you help us preserve our brand and grow at the same time? Mm-hmm. They thought those two things were at odds. And we went right. in and were like, no. you are messaging your brand very well. Mm-hmm. You're not acting your brand. I'm going to go back to that phrase from the beginning. You're not acting your brand. Right. All we did was amplify for their people mm-hmm. what the brand actually was. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's right. We really are good at that. Like we are right. experts in that. We really need mm-hmm. to rely on that. So all we got them to do is to live the brand more consistently. And their conversion went up by 33%. Just wow. by authentically saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. And we are, we are here to serve you. We're here to help you. But we're not helping you if we don't give you our opinion. We're the experts. If we don't tell you what we think is right for you, we're actually doing you a disservice. That's not being salesy. That's being helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. We convinced convince them. We had to convince them that being helpful and being salesy were not mm-hmm. the same thing. Right. And we got them re-engaged around being helpful, which is what mm-hmm. their whole brand was built on. Mm-hmm. And just by doing that, no other noise in the, in the data, anything like that, their sales conversion went up by 33%. So it, it's really powerful when you can connect those simple elements of your brand, it's those simple elements of your story into the day-to-day actions of your people. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of times, it may simply be the case of this level thinking, this level knows what's going on. You know, well, what do you mean, Neo, you, you don't know that? It's on the wall. It's on our brochures. But if yeah. you've never taken the time to show and tell and email and do all the various things that people need, they're not going to know it. And, and 
it starts with one simple step. And, and probably the, the biggest takeaway that I usually have for people is um, the first step to really getting better at this, the, 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 really the, the, the key insight is as soon as you start looking at the people who represent your brand as people who need to love it, and you look at them as an audience to be marketed to, as a group of people that need to be convinced of how great it is, rather than taking that for granted, because most organizations take it for granted, that's when you're on the path to really building that alignment, that, that real connection between your people and your brand, that starts with asking and understanding. Mm-hmm. You ask what your customers think, ask what your people think, because as soon as you start asking, you're building that dialogue, you're building their engagement, you're building their ownership of what that message is ultimately going to be. But looking at them as an audience to be won over and asking their opinion, that's where the true, you know, the true breakthrough starts. Right. You know, and then it comes back to what we were saying at the very start. When you're asking their opinion, all those various things, you're showing that you value them. You know, they're not just there to, to sell whatever it is that you've got. You value them. Now, sometimes you can't do what they have, have suggested. Tell them why. You know? Yeah. Absolutely true. You know? And, but it's, it, the more engaged they are, the more they are involved in the company and hopefully the longer they will stay. It's absolutely true. Um, I one time, I'll, I'll, I'll share one last anecdote. I one time was on the phone with a, a major consumer brand um, mm-hmm. that most people would know. And I was on the phone with their national vice president of sales and their, uh, their head of their um, learning and development organization. Mm-hmm. And we had a proposal in front of the sales team and learning development was brought in to sort of vet us. And the head of learning development for this large organization, 500 plus salespeople, he said to me, other than the whole getting them engaged thing, he actually said this, other than the whole getting them engaged <laughs> thing, why would we ask our people what they think? Why wouldn't we just get them in a room, tell them what to do them. and have them go do it? Mm-hmm. Tell them what to do. That's what he said. Why would we not just go put them in a room mm-hmm. and tell them what to do? And my response to him was, how do you know you're right? How do you know that what you're telling them is the right thing? Right. And this idea that the, that the corporate team has a monopoly on all the good ideas, um, that's where the disconnect comes in. Mm-hmm. The power struggles within these organizations are really where the, where the misalignment comes in. It's everybody check their ego for a minute and really focus on what matters most. Focus on what, what matters most the way that Chick-fil-A does, mm-hmm. which is the customer. Focus right. on them and align yourself backward from the customer. And make sure that if you have an insight, if you have something that you want them to do, you want them to say Mm -hmm. that people believe in it. And most importantly, they believe that it will resonate with the customer. Mm -hmm. And that's where this idea of we know it, we're going to push it out by email and product training, and we're just going to try to get this message to to drive verbatim down to the customer. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's not working anymore. It's not working for the modern brand. That's what we found in the study. And that's what we're here to combat. Right. I love it. Well, Chris, tell us how people find you and connect with you online. Well, my name is very common, so you have to make sure you're, you're, you're getting the right one. So Chris Wallace is not, not an, uh, an uncommon name. So <laughs> if you uh, look for me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn is a great way to find me, but um, it's, I, I'm in Philadelphia. So if you look, search for Chris Wallace, you, you'll see me in Philadelphia, and it gets interview. Um, and it's I-N-N-E-R, like inner, like look inside, mm-hmm. look inner, yeah. interview, take an interview inner peace interview. Um, 
And also interviewgroup.com is our website. And again, I-N-N-E-R-V-I-E-W, interviewgroup.com is our website. You can find my information on there. You can find our company information. The study that, that Deb referenced is on there. So that's the best place to find us. Perfect. And there's a lot of great information on the website, um, you know, and, and if, but if you need, you know, somebody to, to kind of walk you through all of this and help your company out, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, yes, I know Chris likes the really big companies, but, it, you know, the small companies are great, you know, and, and, and sometimes the small companies are the ones who need the most help. So please feel free to, to reach out to, to Chris, look at his information online um, and, you know, and, and go from there. Do you have any final words you want to leave us with today? You know, I, I just, you know, I'll just share that whether you're big or you're small, you, the way you said it before, Deb, was really great. It doesn't matter if you're big or you're small. You've got to get that message right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a phrase that I always use is you can't train people to love your brand. Training is not oh. that you, you train, you train people on compliance. You train people to check the boxes. Um, training doesn't, doesn't get you to the point where you love something. Mm-hmm. Find other ways. If, if you have a small organization and you're growing or you want to grow, find ways to make sure the people that work for you who represent you every day, make sure that they love it. And you can't just do that with an email. You can't just do it with a training. It really has to be something that you find other engaging, interesting ways to do it. So can't train people to love your brand. Just remember that, no matter how big or how small. I love it. Well, I've been having a great time talking through my cold with Chris Wallace of interviewgroup.com. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.